Hello and welcome to the Media and Marketing Podcast sponsored by MWW. My name is John Reynolds, a host. Coming up, we've got two interviews this week. First up, we've got the UK Chief Exec of the Omnicom-owned uh, media agency, OMD, who's Dan Clays. So there's loads in there about some of the issues facing media agencies today, a bit about transparency, a bit about competition from the independents and the consultancies. Uh, a bit about Facebook and Google and some of the challenge that, challenges that the Omnicom agency is facing going forward. Uh, second to that, we've got uh, an interview with Johnny Hornby, who is the founder of the AND Partnership, um, purely talking about Martin Sorrell and WPP. Uh, I think uh, this continues to be an important story because there's so much still unresolved, uh, whether it be what Martin Sorrell does next and who will actually take over WPP in the long term. Anyway, so first up, we've got uh, Dan Clays. And we are delighted to be joined by Dan Clays, who is the UK Chief Exec of the Omnicom-owned media agency, OMD. Uh, so thanks a million for joining us, Dan, on the podcast. First up, for the listeners, can we just get a, a potted history of your career to date? Uh, yeah, well, hi. Good morning, John. Um, I'm CEO of OMD in the UK. Um, I've just had my six-year anniversary, which means yep. you get people coming out of the uh, woodwork on LinkedIn congratulating you that you've... Uh, uh, you've been there for six years, which is lovely. Didn't get a Facebook balloon, but there you go. Um, agency career started around 20 years ago. Uh, TV buyer at TMD, Cara, mm-hmm. back in 97. Um, then I moved across to to PhD, um, who I'm sitting next door from right now. Um, yeah. And then in 2001, I took the plunge to move to a startup, Quantum, yeah. um, and spent a... Um, as a digital startup and spent a year running a specialist digital agency. Yeah. It's fair to say digital was um, a slightly more simplistic world then. Um, so I did a decade in digital, then we sold that business as part of the sale and creation of Arena um, the Media to Havas in 2009. Yeah. Uh, stayed there for another for three years. So that was a, a, a great time over that period. Stayed there for three years and then in 2012 uh, I met my now boss Philippa Brown, yeah. um, CEO of OMG, Omnicom Media Group. She put me through my paces, um, and back in 2012, appointed me as the um, uh, the managing director of uh, OMD UK. And you became your chief exec now. So when did you become chief exec? I became chief exec after three years. Um, uh, Philippa gave me the nudge, so um, uh, that was back in 2015, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, I operated over that time. Uh, without a uh, chief exec, we had a guy called Steve Williams, who was the CEO yeah. of the group, who moved across the US. Okay. Um, so I just straight lined into Philippa as I, as I do now. Okay, right, you're very welcome on the podcast because I think for, in previous podcasts we've had execs from WPP, Dentsu Aegis, IPG, Publicis, but I think you're the very first from Omnicom. So welcome. Now, maybe a good starting pa- pa- uh, point perhaps is the latest school reports. Uh, published by a campaign just to get a bit of an overview of where OMD UK is at the moment. So according to Nielsen, billings across OMD Group in the UK came in at around 770 million for the latest year. So that obviously includes uh, OMD and sister agent agency Manning Gottlieb OMD, mm-hmm. which overall is down 20, 22% on the year in billings. That said, uh, you are the second biggest media agency behind Mediacom and still in front of Cara. So my first couple of questions are, I mean, how... Are these agency league tables something you take note of? I mean, is, is it a realistic ambition to, in time to, or an aspiration to topple Mediacom? Or, I mean, what's your overall take on them? 
Um, I think I think I think the us guys that have been working, as I just described, for a fair few years in the industry will certainly take take note of them, respect them. It gives us an opportunity to get a sense of how you guys are re- reviewing us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, most importantly, we want to get a sense of whether our um, our people are, are looking at them and our clients are looking at them. Um, and you know, when I looked at, uh, at the review you gave. To mm. group, mm. Um, I'm as much interested in the comments as I am in the scores. To be honest with you, I think it was a really, okay. really good comment at the end that was made, which right. talked about. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but just talked about the strength that OMD Group is uh, moving into 2018 in, based on the performance in the second half of 2017. And the report recognises that. Um, uh, OMD has um, had a very impressive new business performance over the yeah. last um, six or seven months. If you look at the new business league table mm. right now in campaign, we're, um, mm. uh, we're comfortably on top. We've won okay. uh, the biggest UK account move in 2017. Yeah. Um, we picked up um, uh, BSH. We've just been announced to have won the £30 million piece of business for Betway. Okay. So it's it's reflective, I would say, of um, the positive news story that we feel um, is coming out of 2017 going into 2018. But, I mean, it's not a realistic aspiration to catch Mediacom. No way ahead. Are they, are they, do you look to that and think that you could do that in a few years' time or not? Or? It's funny, isn't it, when you're sort of thinking about billing as a metric, yeah. and the world has moved on quite okay. considerably. I mean, it gives you a sort of general overview of um, uh, the scale of marketing investment of your clients, but right. across all of the agencies, not just ourselves, the range yeah. of services that we provide our clients now to help them grow their businesses has diversified significantly. So okay. when I'm sitting down with Philippa, you know, she's you know, she's not gonna be talking to me about billions at the start of the conversation when it's a commercial one. There's you know far more um, uh, significant uh, KPIs for our business than, than, than that alone. Okay, just, just 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 a few things on the pictures. You mentioned some of the businesses which you've won. Obviously, in the first half of that year, there was a couple of losses: uh, Boots and Carlsberg, big global losses. But then you obviously won uh, Barclays um, and some others. So I guess some of those wins made up for some of the earlier losses, then, did they? Uh, yeah, I mean. Um uh, for sure. I mean, the, the 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 story with Boots. If you if you spoke to Boots, they were, um, I think it's fair to say, very very comfortable working with us in the UK. It's been a fantastic relationship over a number of years. Um, it part of a um, a decision that was taken, possibly even outside of the the marketing fraternity. So um, that was one of those things that happens, and you just when the you know when the client reluctantly walks away, you've got to get out there and find find alternatives which we, we've certainly done um, so you know um, people like Elizabeth um, Fagan if you yeah. talk to them I'm sure they'd speak pretty fondly of, um, of, of the relationship that we held with um, with Boots and actually you know the reality is we would have used quite a bit of work that we've done with Boots um, to demonstrate what we can do with future clients so it's um, it's, the, it's, the, it's the way of um, it's the way of the world and certainly in my job you you know, you learn to be resilient. That mm. you know, if something, you know, a decision out of your control mm. happens, uh, you've got to try and do what you can that's in your control to uh, to to kind of make good. And you mentioned Elizabeth Fagan. Now, I guess a lot of people listening to this podcast will know will, will know Elizabeth. I mean, no longer at Boots. Is she a, a tough operator? Is it fair to say that Boots is one of the toughest clients you've worked with? Or 
Elizabeth, well, she'll be um, she'll be feeling probably fairly pleased with herself this week after Celtic um, uh, uh, steamrolling the, the league up there. Look, I mean, Elizabeth um, was a really good trusted advisor for us as a business. Um, she has a very uh, high level of interest in media and mm. knowledge of media, which is, mm. uh, is a really, really good thing, particularly given the pace of change, which I'm sure we'll talk about mm. in the course of this session. Um, so actually, you know, I know that, and Elizabeth wouldn't mind me saying this, I know that, you know, she's, she is a, or has been a client that's not prepared to, 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 to walk away from a, a very challenging conversation, but I completely respect her for that. And I remember when I first came into the business and sat down for a cup of tea and she was very, you know, um, quick to talk to me about a few things that she wanted to see and um, and actually it was you know there were two or three points of advice that were absolutely fantastic and mm. you know if you um, despite everything that's going on you know in our world right now if you if you fundamentally stay relevant for what mm. clients need you won't go too far wrong and I think that's the mantra with Elizabeth um, okay. so I'm full of respect for her and um, uh, you know, in her roll now boots and, and with his bow, I think she'll um, she'll do she'll do brilliantly. Okay, and I mean, you just uh, are you moving away from this relentless pitching? Can you talk a bit about how OMD UK is growing revenues outside of new business too? Maybe some examples. Look, I mean, I think when it comes to pitching, um, one of the one of the, the 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 brilliant things about the way that Philippa runs OMG, and when it comes to new business, is there's no way that she would entertain doing anything when it comes to business if it put um, you know existing clients under sure. too much pressure. Sure. Um, and so we've always been very very careful about what we pitch for. Is it the right kind of partner client? Obviously, mm. is it comfortably conflict free? Mm. You know, is it sort of business that um, is going to add add to our business as well? So yeah, I mean, pitching is tough. There's no, there's no to get in the way. There's no, you know, ways of getting around that. The process that goes into pitching um, is pretty full on. Um, at the same time, what we've experienced over the last six months, for example, with Barclays, are brilliantly run pitches. I mean, that was a, that's a client that's gone out and brought in the right kind of people to help run a brilliant pitch mm. process, mm. and that's definitely starting to come through. You can really, really see the difference between. You know, a well-run uh, pitch mm. process than one that hasn't been as well considered, and I think you do as an agency start to factor that into your decision making about what's that what's that process going to look like. Um, your other question was around other services. Yeah, is that right? Um, yeah, I mean we've seen a, a, a lot of growth um, beyond what you might consider to be core media planning and buying services, whether that's um, uh, data tech and analytics, content, yeah. um, live brand experiences, partnerships, um, ever-expanding um, digital performance services and capabilities. Um, you know, we as media agencies, speaking mm. for the industry, came about because we were specialists in how to connect audiences, brands with audiences to grow um, the business of our clients. and. That core idea for what was the inception of media agencies in the first place yeah. uh, is um, absolutely true today. It's just the, the services at, at our disposal have grown and therefore we've been able to not only offer more, um, uh, more capability for our clients, but also, you know, we've got companies to run and it enables us to, to, drive, to drive revenue growth. And 
I think at the heart of all of it is making sure that you've got the relationships and the trust and the confidence of the client to mm. enable you to do that. That's really, really critical. Okay, right, brilliant. And just let's take a quick look at how OMD UK fits into the Omnicom group. Uh, I mentioned Manning Gottlieb, your sister agency. Obviously, uh, there's PhD and New Broom Hearts and Science, which is a uh, I guess described as a data and CRM driven agency. Yeah. So, I mean, is there a big point of difference between these agencies? Can you talk a bit about if there needs to be a point of difference? And I mean, how are you sharing resources? Is there going to be a further streamlining of um, uh, Omnicom's media agencies in the UK? Yeah, I mean, look, there are definitely points of difference and there's commonalities. And I think that's, that's important. Um, if we think about the commonalities across our business as Omnicom Media Group, mm. we're an organisation that, um, and I've heard non-Omnicom people, media owners, talk about us in these terms. We're a very, very client-centric um, set of companies. Um, we passionately believe in uh, innovation, creativity is mm. the key to growth. You've only got to see that um, at the um, at industry awards um, ceremonies. Um, and there's good, very, very good relationships across the businesses. Um, you know, and again, principally because the way that you know Philippa um, has run OMG for a number of years, the ability to um, uh, you know I sit on the Omnicom Media Group board, and um, uh, you know it's there's, there's very, very strong relationships between the businesses. And at the same time, we've got rightly so, we've got you know important points of differences. Um, you know, OMD. Uh, we, you know, we, we consider ourselves um, to be heavy on the media creativity, mm. um, a really um, hopefully unique blend of the ability to drive long-term brand growth and short-term performance and the coming together um, of those two elements for clients. PhD obviously has got its um, deep planning heritage and mm. you've, you know, you've, you've, you've mm. really made on the head in terms of, in terms of hearts and science. So I think we've got to a really good space where there are Good differences between the businesses. So mm. if, a, if a pitch opportunity should come into Philippa mm. um, or Sam Phillips, they've got the opportunity to think, okay, well, you know, which of the agencies is best suited for it. Whilst at the same time, all of those clients or consultants that are considered the Omnicom agency broadly know um, the type of um, emphasis they get versus some of the holding groups. Okay, so obviously Omnicom folded Rocket into Hearts and Sciences and closed M2M in 2016. Do you think with people questioning the role and value of media agencies? Uh, there could be a further streamlining of, of, of Omnicom's media agencies in you know, the next five or ten years. Would that surprise you or not? Um, it, right now, it would massively surprise me because the businesses are doing so well. Mm. Um, I mean, picking up your point around Rocket and Hearts, I mean, my view on that is pretty straightforward and simple. It was just a very sensible mm. um, decision. Anyone that has been across the bank side where those businesses were located, I mean, they literally sat next to each other. Um, two great teams, it enabled it to be a broader proposition, um, both um, getting lots of fresh opportunities. So for me, it was a sensible, pragmatic decision. And if I think now about what, you know, the type of people that Francis has got at her disposal, um, working close with Mark Gerling, it's just very, very sensible. And I think um, they've got a very, very exciting 18 months ahead. So for me, it was, just, it was, a, it was a bit of a no-brainer, quite frankly. Mm. Um, uh, and no, I mean, I think, um, you know, if I think about the media challenges, sort of the challenges that media agencies face, mm. um, you know, it's well documented, it's not, it, you know, this isn't going to be a uh, raise your eyebrows moment when I say it, you know, the pace of change, 
the daily disruption, the level of complexity. You know, someone was telling me last night that, um, uh, and the conversation did evolve, I should add, but um, someone told me that linear TV is now one of 16 choices in certain stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said, we, we, we did talk about this stuff. Um, and there's some great Unicom uh, data that came out today, which is over 25% of adults now are mobile only. They don't even own a desktop or a laptop, so I think it's quite interesting. So yeah. when we think about the level of connectivity um, and the proliferation of channels, the abundance of data, the scope for innovation, mm-hmm. the speed that we can um, understand the performance of marketing investment, pace of cultural trends and social media, etc. I go back to that first point that we was we are specialists in how to connect audiences with brands. And so in that world of complexity and at that pace of change, for me what's happening is the importance of the media agency is only growing mm. in importance and it completely reinforces um, the need and opportunity for us as businesses to create competitive advantage for our clients mm. and our knowledge of the flow of audience across those channels. So mm. for me, it's mm. about a business that makes better decisions faster, that has the product, process, the people mm. um, that um, can bring that to life. And so my view is very squarely um, that the pace of change and the complexity mm. very much reinforces the role of okay. media experts in the marketplace. But with your long heritage and history in media, is it fair to say that media agencies are facing more uh, and more acute pressure than ever before. So obviously you've got uh, clients reducing spend, competition from Facebook and Google, clients in housing, clients questioning transparency. Uh, of all those mentioned there, is, is there one in particular that's a, a, a more acute challenge or is it, is, it, is it all of them together, do you think? Um, I think what's happening is, if you think about okay, the disruption that comes about from ad fraud or brand safety, yeah. um, there's a lot agencies are doing, should be doing, to enable us to cut through that complexity and make it a simpler market for clients to understand to properly take advantage of it. But of course, in order to do that, requires um, the time and the talent to do that properly. So for me, I think um, it's about ensuring, as we did say, for example, with our Barclays um, pitch recently, when we um, when we built that team in the first place, that's a client that. You know, in that territory, obviously, wants to make sure it's got the right approach when it comes to all of those um, those elements. Um, so then it's about ensuring that their agency team was equipped, staffed, resourced in order to um, to to to, um, to take advantage of the complexity, but also doing the right things. And so I think um, the transition that we're all going through as clients, agencies, media owners is to make sure that in the new paradigm. Mm. Have we got people in the right places? Have we got the right level of resource in the right places? Because if we're going to do things properly and take it and and also take advantage of the opportunities, that's that's key. And I think talent more broadly um, mm. is a really important area to to be talking about because you know again one of the things we pride ourselves on in the UK is creating a culture to attract the right kind of talent um, and also importantly creating ways of working operating models that enables now different kinds of specialists mm. to work really well together. And when you talk about that, what's the pressure you're under, mm. it's about saying, okay, well, there's no going back, world's changing, um, and in a, you know, and we, we, in a really, really positive way. Um, so how do we ensure we are creating 
agencies that people want to be part of um, that have you know the right ways of working that enable people to, to thrive and to succeed and to still keep a sense of balance going on because you can work all night if you wanted to it's more than enough work to do but you know we have to be realistic um, and make sure we're looking after the people coming into the industry um, and that's another thing I feel pretty passionate about I think you know right across the board we need to recognise that for this industry to, to carry on succeeding uh, we need to ensure that we are um, externally talking about ourselves in a way that um, attracts the right kind of people. And you're not doing that. You're not doing that at the moment, or you are doing that. No, we are doing it. Right. I think. No, I think. Look, I mean, I, I think. I think we're doing it within our businesses really well. Mm. Um, but I think there's probably still a call to mm. recognise great work a little bit more outside of um, award ceremonies because there's right. tons of fantastic stuff happening out there, and I think we can probably talk about it. Yeah, okay, right, just just very quickly on digital programmatic, because that continues to capture headlines around uh, brand safety in the national news. Uh, do you think clients' concerns have been addressed? Obviously, it was over a year ago that Mark Pritchard, the top marketing guy at P&G, warned that the digital media supply chain was murky at best, fraudulent at worst. So that was over a year ago. Was he right to say that? Have things improved? Because obviously, for clients, it can be quite a confusing ecosystem. So at the one end, you've got the media agency. The other, you've got the media owners and the publishers. Then you've got all these intermediate bodies like the trading desks and the data suppliers. I think there's a famous stat from the World Federation of Advertisers for, for every pound uh, for every pound brand spent on programmatic, publishers may only see 15p of it. So this is a long-standing issue. Do you think the and the agency, the argument is that media agencies have been greedy? Do you think clients are still concerned about this or? Their concerns being addressed. Um, okay, a lot in there. Um, look, I mean, raising the um, the noise around this was completely, the, you know, the right thing to do from my perspective as a client because, um, you know, programmatic has scaled fast. I think it was up something like twenty five percent year on year last year. The ecosystem has got more complex. It's grown at speed. There's been challenges around brand safety and ad fraud, and I think we have to recognise that um, whilst you know we've got you know decent numbers of people where this is their day job and they uh, focus on it, and you know everybody across our business um, um, has a has a good understanding of it. But if you're a client, um, it's part of what you do, um, and you know we need to recognise that you know our clients have many lines of investment, and so. I think you know it's fair that it was raised that it's got too complex, and the narrative and the language needed to be more mm. client-centric and almost simplified. I mean, you see massive growth in in ad tech. There's nuances mm. in approach across different devices. You know, you've got new data sources, um, and of course, a requirement to ensure a level of consent with that data. The need for verification technology and vigilance to combat fraud, protect brand safety, maximise viewability. You've got publishers. Um, putting inventory onto um, onto different supply side platforms. You've got supply side platforms using um, uh, multiple ad exchanges. You've got um, historically there've been some opaque pricing models. So I totally understand why. Mm. Um, if you're not living it every day of the week, then mm. um, it is complex. Now, at the same time, I do believe. I mean, the principles of programmatic are pretty straightforward to some extent in terms of supply chain, but because of all those things, it's got more complex. And I do believe there's a lot we're doing to remove the complexity, the ambiguity, and to ultimately create more trust and confidence in the platform. I mean, from a transparency perspective, 
absolutely a full breakdown of data, tech, media costs, you know, even give login access to um, to the technology systems. I remember when, you know, right at the beginning we were talking about when I was running a specialist um, dish agency, I was always really keen to show, I was talking to the guys about show the clients the screens, mm. show them what you're doing, show mm. them how you're overlaying different types of data to, to, to sort of create this sense of um, of, of what you can do with um, with um, uh, the programmatic sure. capabilities. So I think there's you know a, a transparency is, is 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 critical. Marrying that up with accountability mm. is key. So when it comes to programmatic, be really clear on what your outcomes are, what the KPIs are. Build in some of the important mm. hygiene elements of, of of programmatic media into your SLAs, be it viewability, be it um, uh, brand safety. We've set up a quality council for yeah. our clients here at the agency, okay. um, and and I think and you know and lastly, um, we could talk about this for a long time, but I think you know the, the making sure that everybody involved in decisioning around programmatic is educated, mm-hmm. educated, and you're putting the time in to properly understand all of the things that you're doing to combat the challenges and also to take advantage of the opportunities be it dynamic creative optimization mm. or addressability in other channels so for me it's about simpler narrative spending time up front to make sure everybody understands all of the elements that you're putting together to create um, a, um, a the right ecosystem for a client now, another concern about transparency, a long-standing one, is around rebates and kickbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, the US Association of National Advertisers said rebates and other non-trans- non-transparent practices were pervasive in the US media buying system. Is, is, is um, rebates and kickbacks, is that still, still a problem in the UK media buying system? No, I mean, I think, actually, think from a UK perspective, um, clients and agencies, and I'm not just talking for my own here, um, I think that again when I talk about positive narrative I think mm. that there's been um, really really great dialogue between clients and agencies um, to ensure that um, uh, all commercial terms are properly discussed I can only vouch for that for my own business specifically with my senses talking to peers and other in other agencies and other clients is that you know across organizations like the IPA and Inspire and 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 the you know the, the sort of fresh round of contracts that we create when we renew with clients etc that um, I think rapid progress has been made to ensure that um, uh, it's it's um, you know we're moving to rightly so we're moving to a world where it's all about you know discussion and making sure that um, um, people turn their contracts into properly working documents right. um, that not just you know the CFO and the CEO understand but the people running the client and agency business know um, and I think that's um, it's you know again we talked a little bit about Barclays pitch but that was front and centre at the very beginning of that process and they oh, really? they, um, uh, they tested us across strategy digital tech etc but that was an important part of it Okay, so you touched on ISPA there. There's obviously the ISPA framework for media agencies, contract for advertisers to use in their negotiations with media agencies. I think that was launched in 2016. What is there an update on that? You're backing that then, are you, or not? Or? Well, I, we've been very, very uh, closely involved. I think right. the um, uh, I think the process has been a positive one. I okay. think everybody's um, uh, working together and working to positive outcomes so that we've ultimately got a framework that um, you know every client needs to have a degree of um, bespoke um, uh, attention played on their contracts of course they do but mm. you know I think um, I think what's 
really good here is that there's been you know positive collaboration to get to a place that um, uh, that I think provides a you know really solid basis for for. Um, contractual conversations with clients. Okay, the last couple of points on this. Frequently on the podcast we've talked about the the threat of uh, consultancies like Accenture and also maybe a bit about, you to be hearing, or we have done the last few years, about the rise of independent media agencies. Are you p- pitching more, I mean, have you pitched against any consultancies? Do, do they pose a realistic threat? And what about the rise of independent agencies? They, they seem to sell themselves on this transparency ticket, but I mean, hmm. I guess if you're saying you're transparent too, I mean, it seems a bit strange, doesn't it, in a way? But I mean, uh, yeah. is that more of a threat or not, that those, those two, both the independents and the consultancies? Um, well, let's take the independents. I mean, um, first of all, I completely respect what they've achieved. I know a lot of people in those agencies that I like very much. So, you know, and I, I've I've been an independent. You know, mm. I did ten years, twelve years, I think, um, as an independent. So I know all the benefits. I know all the challenges of being in those organisations. And you know, if we pitch against them, we respect them like you know, like we do all other agencies. I mean, I don't believe, as you've referenced, that an independence position on transparency or um, their levels of agility are any different to ours um, uh, and actually when I joined OMD from my time in the former life you know when I walked through the door and saw the level of capability at my disposal and the fact that um, ideas and creativity were you know p- probably even more spoken about than, than in my previous business um, I don't see that being a, a, a point of differentiation genuinely you know, right. we're 350 people um, that's a pretty tight knit culture um, but has also got global scale and an incredible depth of capability so mm. you know um, but you know look, I respect all the competition we go up against and um, uh, and that would be the same with consultants but truthfully that has not happened to me yet you've not pitched uh, against no nope. um, uh, and I again expect anything in this industry but um, but nothing yet um, uh, and yeah I mean it will be interesting won't it to see how that unfolds I mean again I think we've got we've got organisations that understand the value of, of, of creativity creating mm. the right kind of culture to attract the talent that um uh, the, the, um, the, the multidisciplinary talent that clients want in their business so uh, it, we haven't encountered it yet um, you know and I think obviously we have encountered consultants as, as auditors yeah. um, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that works how an auditor can extend its remit into planning the media that is auditing so um, yeah. I don't know uh, yeah. how that will unfold okay. right let's just talk about um, well a few more things obviously um, I think it was last year there was um, a glut of um, UK media agency bosses leaving like Tracy <laughs> DeGrasse and Paul I Frampton yeah. <laughs> for various reasons um, I mean I, I guess some argument may be that there are the pressures, as we mentioned before, is is higher than ever before. Maybe pressures from management at global level. So, I, I guess a, a question for you, Dan, is: I mean, how, how have you managed to stick around? And do you find the pressures more acute than ever before? <laughs> how have I managed to stick around? Yeah, that's maybe blunt, that's what everyone was asking when they uh, congratulated me on my six years at OMD. Yeah. So well done for uh, for hanging in there. Um, look, listen. I think if you actually broke down. The reasons behind the collection of people uh, that were um, uh, that were, were moving on from those businesses, most of whom I know pretty well, um, a lot of them had specific uh, sure. reasons versus it being a um, you know a result of a trend in the industry. Um, and I can say that on pretty solid ground, knowing them as well as I do. Um, 
but look, you know, running a, running an agency is, um, you know, it, it's tough, you know, it's as it is running a client at the moment, you know, mm. um, and running a media owner for that matter. Um, I think for me, uh, why I'm still enjoying it and, you know, hopefully going strong after six years, um, I think it's, it's, um, it's about the people that you surround yourself with. I mean, I've got... Um, got a brilliant boss, got a brilliant team, we've got a brilliant um, set of people across the agency, um, and providing you've got that, um, you're um, you're always going to be in a good place. And I, you know, we've talked a lot about the uh, the pace of change and complexity, and I'm I'm kind of somebody that always wants to, you know, in this job you've got to have a degree of um, of wanting to have a sense of control, um, mm. and that's difficult. That's difficult when it's. Um, uh, when it's moving at the pace that it is but if you've got that innate mm. kind of way about you that you want to kind of grapple something then that's what ultimately I think right now keeps people like me very interested in, in what you're doing and, um, and as I say I think because we've um, you know we've uh, we've we've, mm. had a, we've had a good run we feel like there's there's really really exciting momentum in our business um, yeah. with a team of people who have stepped up and are really grasping the opportunity we feel in a good place I'm enjoying it and while I'm enjoying it um, you know um, hopefully we'll be here in another six years maybe um, doing another podcast or a vodcast I imagine yeah, things might have moved on I'll still probably be here anyway you mentioned Philippa you've referenced, referenced her a few times can, yeah. you, can, can you talk about your relationship and maybe with the Omnicom CEO John Rand do, do you see how often do you see him or do you see the big bosses in the US a lot or not uh, so Philippa doesn't even know I'm doing this by the way so I need to make that clear so uh, so she'll be um, uh, uh, okay. hopefully um, su- su- surprised in a positive way when she hears uh, that she's been referenced a few times uh, I speak to Philippa a lot um, you know we have we have one to ones but more importantly we speak most days um, uh, normally at the start of the day um, and uh, I mean she, as I say she, she works across all of the agencies so she's very busy um, but we get we get as much um, access um, to her as we need to. She has an innate ability to, you know, to ask me about how things are going on a client that I might not spoke to for a week or so. Um, she's got this sixth sense. Um, but now she's brilliant. As mm. I say, she's I've, I've talked about her a fair bit. I don't need to weigh on. She mm. doesn't necessarily want me to in terms of um, you know she's modest uh, in the way she goes about things, but. Um, but uh, get as much access as we need to, and um, she keeps things um, focused and, 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 and simple. She's got a great ability to um, uh, to spend most of her, a lot of her time thinking about the very very important stuff that's not urgent, which is a great place to be. Um, bosses and, in the US. And boss, sorry, and then I'm uh, bosses in the US. Uh, well, you know, um, Florian, who is our new. Um, well, he's not new anymore. I think it's. Um, yeah, we're, I think he would, he's, he's lost a new moniker now. But um, you know, he's been in, in that role for um, four or five months, I guess. But um, Flo has moved across to, to London um, from right. Germany. He's our worldwide CEO. And he, he's, well, he lives in London, but probably spends a fair bit of time on an airplane. Um, and so I get um, great access to, to Flo. Um, and again, he, he's bringing really exciting energy to our business. And then we've also got Guy Marks, who's newly installed as the EMEA CEO, um, who again, actually, I'm speaking to, you know, two or three times a week. So, yeah, it's um, it's a pretty social business in that sense, and I do get um, 
um, as much uh, access as I need to. Okay, last few questions. Uh, a typical working week. I mean, what have you what have you got on this week? Is it is it client heavy? Do you get out and about? Are you speaking or what are you? Um, this is not an obvious highlight of my yeah. week, John. Um, I've seen quite a few comments this week actually. Um, we've got a number of presentations as we start planning for you know um, final quarter of the year next year. We've seen quite a lot of clients this week. Yeah. Um, we have developed a new um, uh, way of working planning process for the business, um, which we're um, uh, rolling out big agency days, training days, which are taking place, which is really exciting. Um, got a couple of pictures um, uh, that um, we've um, we've got in play that I'm keeping tabs on, um, and this evening is parenting, so I should be making sure leave at five thirty to to check the next generation of doing well at school. Okay, good man. And, and lastly, we haven't really talked in detail, like we have done with other guests about Facebook and Google. Very quickly, have you been impressed by the moves that both have made to combat some of the issues they're facing? So whether it's um, fake news or Google, or Google's YouTube around brand safety too. Have you been impressed with the moves they've made or not? Um, well, look, Google are working very hard, right? I mean, they've um, deleted, what did they say, 8.3 million inappropriate videos in Q1 and 81% of those I think were flagged by machines and over three quarters um, before a single view so um, and another thing that caught my eye they've got a reporting dashboard now I don't know if you've seen that but that allows users anyone to see the videos that have been flagged for review and it gives you an understanding of the um, uh, the amount of content that they've spotted by market, by type of by type of content. So I think um, I think they are working very hard. Um, equally, then you know yesterday it's front page news on BBC about a YouTube video um, oh, really? that's got cheating um, uh, capabilities. Okay. So, but I think that's the nature of it. Um, right. And their challenge is how do we how do we get ahead all of the time? And I think that the industry has recognised that um, you know. You know, YouTube have to some extent evolved into a, a, you know, a, a video viewing utility, mm. and we as agencies on behalf of our clients just need to make sure we keep applying the pressure, working in collaboration with them to ensure that we are doing all we can to to um, uh, to eradicate it. Um, well, eradicate it is not probably the right choice of word. They talk about now being 99% um, confident. I think the nature of the web is that. Um, uh, that there also there is always the potential. Um, at the same time, you know, agencies can do a lot to ensure that we're minimising the risk, and that's that's really important. And clients, just not advising clients to advertise around YouTube and things like that. Then we've always said it's yes, the, the, okay. um, that we take a client by client view on it um, because different clients have different views about what what constitutes a brand safe environment. Depends on the market they're in. Brilliant. Right. Thank you very much, Dan. And right. Yeah. Good. Is now is now a good time. Okay, brilliant. Thanks a million for joining me. Um, now, now, first up, uh, I guess a lot of people will be interested to know, have you actually uh, spoken to Martin Sorrell uh, since his exit? And if you have spoken to him, what his frame of mind is? Is he is he bitter about the whole thing or is he excited about a possible new challenge? Or uh, I spoke to Martin kind of during the process and I've spoken to Martin, uh, I bumped into Martin um, Last week, I haven't spoken. I haven't directly asked him. You know the questions that you're um, referring no. to. I think you know um, 
my my observation would be that I would guess, and I haven't got this directly from Martin, that he is somebody who isn't going to be looking to put his feet up and play golf. You know, Martin will want, um, even though he's 73 years old, he's you know he's fit, he's mentally agile, he's you know um, got a, got an incredibly mm. energetic capacity for work. And so I think Martin will will definitely see Martin doing uh, more big things going forward. I'm sure of that. And do you think is your is your gut thinking that he will stay in this area, or could he? Do you think he could do something completely different, you know, business related and not necessarily advertising? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at what Martin did, which was to you know Martin both in his early career with the Sarchis. I mean, you know, if you look at the the, the Morrison Charles story mm-hmm. part of it is a story of some very talented creative people that in the early days of advertising created a great brand mm. but if you actually look at the company the size that it grew to mm. it was actually as much then martin you know buying ted baits and acquiring agencies and etc this was this was never a story of organic creative growth and i think you know M- martin did that for the sarchis and built that global empire a lot of it through acquisition um, obviously, they created a good brand that you could then put on top of that, but 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 that was Martin's doing, and then Martin did it did it by himself with with WPP. Martin's what does Martin bring to it? He brings incredible business acumen, mm. very sound, very strong financial mm. knowledge, and you know capability to to engineer financial deals in very innovative and clever ways um, to make sure that he can really benefit from the growth that he creates. So Martin Sorrell, what Martin Sorrell does for a living, you could do with advertising agencies, but equally you could do mm. it with, you know, football clubs, cornflakes, or, you know, bath mats. It doesn't mm. really make a difference. Martin Martin would, be, would have the ability to do all of those now. Because of Martin's affection for the business that he's built, sure. You, might, if you were guessing, you'd expect him to do something adjoining rather than completely different. Mm. Um, you know, if you were starting a WPP tomorrow, would you start it very differently anyway? Probably. Mm. You know, would the jewels in the crown be the traditional creative brand agencies as they were when he built his empire? Probably not. You know, would the jewels in the crown maybe be more like some of the you know, forward-thinking, digital, data-driven entities that are emerging, probably. And therefore, if I was a, you know, an investor, mm. and I had a load of money, and there's a lot of money around the world looking for a home, mm. then then somebody taking that to Martin Sorrell and saying, "Why don't you build build us something?" You know, I don't think Martin would find it hard to raise mm. the money. Mm. Um, uh, but I'd imagine that he. I'd, I'd be surprised if Martin bought the more legacy assets. I bet he'd, he'd concentrate on the more kind of next generation assets. But I'm hypothesising sure. about something that he hasn't yeah. actually told me he would do. I just, I, I just know him well enough to know that he won't do nothing. Yeah, and, and you, I've not really heard anything. Uh, this might sound a bit far fetched, but if you look at the other big holding groups, if you look at like of uh, Publicis and Havas and IPG. Would they be would they be interested in working with Martin Sorrell at all? I guess that would be quite uh, complicated. I've not heard anything about that. I've also not heard anything about any of the rivals. Obviously, arguably, WPP is an unsteady ship at the moment. Is there any way any of those rivals can benefit where it, at the moment where it is an unstable ship at all? Well, the, whether it's an unstable ship or not, I guess is slightly you know a matter for debate because. Mm. You know, to be fair, Mark Reed gave a, 
I don't know if you saw it, but mm. if you looked at the hour and a half presentation that the combination of Mark Reed, Paul Richardson, and Andrew Scott made um, w with some contribution to from from Lindsay Patterson, mm. it was a very uh, polished and professional uh, presentation that showed that Mark Reed has got his hand firmly on the tiller mm. and that actually the combination of those two people has a lot to bring to the party you know mark built the digital assets that are in wpp for martin yeah mark has also then gone off and taken a very significant wpp asset in wonderman and taken it from where it was going backwards five percent to forwards six percent mm. so mark knows how to to run a client driven organization and in the last week as i understand it from that presentation and from what i understand from mark he's gone and visited you know all of the top 20 clients and i think had some very positive conversations meanwhile mm. if you imagine that part of what might happen at wpp and again this is conjecture i don't know is that they signaled in that meeting that there might be some assets that aren't core to what that kind of group needs to deliver for its clients in future minority stakes in vice the research business etc you could imagine that's what led to that the combination of those things led to that eight nine percent increase in the share price because i think people have felt for a while that things needed to change in all of the holding companies mm. not just wpp that the old way of managing the holding mm. companies that have been so successful for 30 years for martin does need to change because of the advent of digital and data and the coming back together uh, from a client perspective of all of these disciplines, whereas Martin, you know, went through a phase where he had them all separately. And for again, for 29 of the 30 years, he was right to do it. He built a business that only 15 months ago had a 19 pound share price. So, you know, when people say, oh, did Martin stay too long? I don't know. In the last year or two, there's been a need for change. But equally, he had 28, you know, if he was a football manager and you had 28 seasons where you won every game, mm. and you had one season where you didn't quite win the Champions League, mm. you'd give the guy another chance. Mm. But, but clearly, I think what you saw in the market was Mark and Andrew doing some of the things mm. that people inside WPP thought needed to be done. Mm. And so if they're signaling, let's get rid of some of these assets that mm. aren't core, then I think shareholders are going, oh, that's good because we've, mm. we've got five billion of debt and I wouldn't mind seeing you know, some of that paid down. So if you can find three or four billion to pay down some of the debt, that's good. If you reinvest some of that in giving some money back to shareholders, they'll think, great i'll give you some time to go and rebuild the business because quarterly earnings put a hell of a pressure on anyone including mm. mark reed to try and rebuild the business if he needs a year or two to do it you might need to give shareholders something you know uh, 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 you know a bit of a prize on the way through to to, to hold them through the journey of a, of a couple of years mm. and if mark's saying i'm going to listen to clients and put things together with data at the heart and with digital at the heart in you know less siloed fashions than they were before well certainly in my little version of you know, a holding company you know we're 450 million not 12 billion mm. um we've doubled our agency uh in north america and europe over the last two years by doing exactly that building mm. new model teams often on site around the client's data and digital and that's what mark says he's going to do so mm. you know in some ways it's unsteady in other ways mm. you might be worried if your publicist or anybody else to go shit there's mm. a new Sure. hand on the tiller and these guys have got an eight percent bump in their share mm. price following following an indication to the market that they're going to reconfigure the 
talent in the ways that the client want it configured, in mm. the way that they've gone and spoken to all the top 20 clients, and in the way that they've signaled. And Andrew Scott's very talented at this. Remember, he bought all of the businesses for Martin over the last 20 mm. years, so he knows he knows under the bonnet what a vice is worth and what all the other minorities are worth. And so he'll be well-placed to, to sell them off. So you could say, well, hold on, I've got Mark going to see the clients and building the, 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 the reconfiguring the core business, and I've got Andrew selling off the mm. bits we don't need. You could suddenly go, hold on, um, WPP is in a great place, or certainly could be in a strong place. Mm. Um, you know, we shall see. But um, I, as to your other question, mm. Martin still owns two percent of WPP. Mm. I'd be amazed if yeah. Martin, having played for Man United and built Man United all his life, decides to go <laughs> and manage Man City. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Whilst he still owns two percent of Man yeah, United, okay. not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, would be would would be my view. Um, and I shouldn't imagine for all the tip for tap that they've had over the years mm. that there's any likelihood of Morris Levy and Martin no. saying should we all be playing no. for the same team no. okay. and just, that's an IPG you know mm. too small for Martin probably mm. um, but you never know you know if um, if something unhinges either of those brands mm. and he could buy them or yeah. put them together or whatever you know if there's a piece of clever financial engineering to mm. be done somewhere Martin Sorrell would have all the credibility and all the nows to do it. Hello? Oh. Hi. Oh yeah. So, so about what you're saying, um, you're, you're praising Mark and Andrew Scott there. So that they'll be favourites for the chief execs role. I guess the downside is they don't have experience of running a big footsie company like WPP, and that could count against them, though, could it? Yes. So listen, this is what the board will have to weigh up. I would say what you really want at the moment is people who understand WPP, who understand our clients and understand the assets inside WPP. Mm. What I don't think WPP has time for is somebody from outside the industry coming in and spending the first nine months trying to understand how a media agency works, how it interacts with a digital agency and what role mm. the brand and, you know, design agencies play in a big pitch. Mm. You know, um, I've got to an age where I can't be bothered to explain it to my mum. And I'm sure the business doesn't have time for somebody to come in from PwC or something and try and figure all that out, or indeed come in. I mean, listen, this is typically what does happen, but I think it would be straight. You know, I, I wouldn't do it. Is is for someone to come in from some big consulting firm and spend six months with McKinsey trying to look at how the business works, whilst then I think in that scenario, publicists and and Omnicom are licking their lips because they'll go, oh, these guys are going to dick around trying to figure out how the business works for nine months whilst we can go and win some pitches off them. Mm. I think if you get Mark and Andrew, as they have done, mm. straight in, straight into place, who know this business inside out and get going, mm. I think, you know, I would make them the favourites. And if there's some bits and bobs they don't know about running a footsie, I'd mm. live with that because I think the reality is the way that Martin ran this business mm. was perfectly credible when it was a huge business that was growing. Mm. When your business isn't growing, you probably shouldn't be at Davos talking about the size of the Chinese economy in three years' time or whether Ecuador's going to grow or not. Mm. You should probably be figuring out why it is you know, that some of your clients have been moving on to PwC and the big consultants or why mm. you've got an issue with Facebook and Google. So I think the person who does the job next, and I think you know, Mark is the strong favorite for me on, for, for various reasons, okay. is somebody who recognizes that and does that and doesn't need to be, you know, if Mark really took the job and said mm. I'm not going to Davos next year mm. I don't think it would make an iota's difference to the future of WPP 
Mm, okay, just um, just last few questions. In in terms of clients, I think there's something like two billions worth of WPP business up for pitches here. Um, so, from my understanding, what you're saying, you don't think any? I mean, Ford are reviewing, aren't they? But you don't think clients will be thinking of moving business out of WPP solely because Martin Sorrell's left, or even will it have a a contributor con- contributory uh, factor? Maybe. I mean, I've heard Martin Sorrell on stage a few times when he's talked about his relationships with the likes of Mark Pritchard and people like that so I would have thought maybe those relationships did count for something I think that WPP is so huge Mm. um, that there will be relationships with Martin that were very strong and that he could use his influence and and track record to benefit WPP Mm. there were also examples of where Martin had got fed up with some organisations and was quite vocal about that Yeah, where the opposite might be the case where they might have felt that Martin was strong on arming them and so I think and then there will also be which I think would be the vast majority of WPP clients pitches that occur for all of the major groups that will go down to exhaustive six-month processes that will involve who's got the best creative idea who's done the best submission as far as you know Mm. digital and data capabilities are concerned who's got the best tech, who's selling the tech at the best value, who can best integrate it with the Adobe Cloud or Pega or whatever other systems there are, you know, who's got the best creative idea, who's got the best end line, who's got the whatever, every pitch I've ever been involved in nowadays of scale will involve some combination of all of those things over a six, nine month or even a year. Mm. And so I think that those pitches will not really be affected at all by the loss of Martin Sorrell in any significant way. What they will be affected by, or the only basis on which they would be, is if WPP did become rudderless and not know what it's doing. Mm. If it has somebody at the helm that does a great job of taking the best talent in WPP, the best technology, the best data, and aligning those brilliantly in pitches, then WPP will win more than it loses. To Mm. my mind, Ford's a coincidence. That's been brewing. I think for anyone who knows, Ford pitch has been brewing okay. for over over a year okay right okay and just in terms of um obviously um not too long ago you were touted as a as a possible successor and you, you, from what you said there you, you played very much the the team player role you, you've bigged up mark and andrew um i guess i mean it, it's something it's wpp chief exec role is still of interest to you but maybe not at the moment is that fair to say or well i've never declared that it was necessarily of interest to me. I, right. think, I think at the moment, uh, yeah, as you as you rightly said, I'm supporting Mark and Andrew to do the job. It's a big job, and there's a lot to be done. And so, you know, I've put myself kind of at their disposal if they want it. I mean, we're we're 49% owned, so they can, you know, take my advice or, or help if they want it or ignore it. It's completely up to them. I have, you know, I have um, a lot of uh, admiration for their talents, and I don't think they need people you know, to go and um, compete <laughs> with yeah. them at the moment. They've got enough to do. So, so no, I, you, you won't find me getting in Mark or Andrew's way and quite the opposite. You know, I, I'm looking to um, to support them where I can, including uh, maybe in, in, in conversations like this one where I think people need to understand the benefits mm. that they bring to the role. 